with you and to worship our Lord on this, the Lord's day. I'm so thankful to have my wife with me, the bride of my youth and wife of 34 years. And our daughter-in-law is a answer to many years of prayer, asking God to uh, give unto our son a godly bride and to be his wife. And we thank the Lord for her. And uh, it's been a refreshing couple of days as this has been a, a mini vacation for us. And we love the James gang, all of them. And uh, every time we're with them, we're refreshed in our spirit. And uh, we're sad to say goodbye. And we get so excited when we know an opportunity is coming up to be together again. And uh, thank the Lord for your pastor and for this sweet church. And it's wonderful uh, to know that anywhere you go in the world, you can quickly connect with people who love and serve the same Lord and Savior that you do, Jesus Christ. And uh, I don't know all of you, but the Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you. And thank you uh, for being faithful today to God's house. And uh, Pastor, I don't take it lightly, the responsibility that's mine today to stand behind this sacred desk and stand instead of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the shepherd of this flock. And with the help of God, I want to be a blessing and help to you today. I want you to take the scriptures and turn with me to the Gospel of John and chapter 1. John and chapter 1. I need to get my microphone on, don't I, there? All right, I apologize for that. We good now? All right, John and chapter 1. For some months now, um, back home where I pastor, the Grace Baptist Church of Flower Mound, Texas, I have, um, for a number of months now, uh, been preaching a series on various biographical sketches in the scriptures. We've been focusing in recent months on characters in the New Testament. I've entitled the series, Meet the Cast. And uh, we have just been each week uh, looking at a different character in the Bible, usually men, but occasionally some of the ladies in the Bible. And uh, we have been learning from their life examples. You know, uh, I am told, I haven't counted them, but I, I have read that there are over 3,200 names listed in the New Testament. So certainly we'll not preach on all of those, but uh, as the Lord leads, we're uh, selecting uh, a number of characters to focus our hearts and minds on. The Bible tells us that God has recorded their life stories in the scriptures that they might serve as our examples. And we are to learn from them, amen? Some of them serve as very good examples and they set the bar high, uh, but they give us a, a, a splendid goal to shoot at and to ask God by His grace and power, help us to be like these men and women. Others uh, serve as bad examples. Uh, but have you ever noticed that in the scriptures when God paints the biography of a man or woman's life, He does it warts and all. And uh, I'm kind of glad my life story is not recorded in the pages of Scripture for people to study and read for hundreds and thousands of years. But uh, we're told about those who uh, forsook the Lord. We're told about those who had moral failures. We're told about those that uh, just did not live up uh, to what they should have been by God's grace and power as a believer. And their lives serve as an example as we learn not to go down the roads that they went and not to make the same mistakes and foolish choices. We're able to look in and see the consequences that they suffered in their life as a result of sin. May I remind you this morning, you never win with sin. You never win with sin. Life is complicated enough without making it more complicated with bad choices. And anytime you go awry from what the Word of God teaches, you're headed down a bad path. Amen? Oh, but listen, if we might walk in paths of righteousness for His namesake, that's where He leads us. 
because we represent him. We're his witnesses in this world and our lives are a testimony and they're supposed to be give God a good name. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. It means give God a good name in this world. When people look at you, those of you who profess the name of Christ, they ought to think highly of the Lord Jesus Christ because of what they see in your life. And so we have been meeting the cast. And as we look at these different individuals in the Bible, we see that some of these individuals had lesser parts in the biblical narrative. Some of them played leading parts in the biblical narrative. Some have star roles and some have supporting roles. But they're all important in the overall redemptive historical narrative of the scriptures. And so I want to talk to you about one of those individuals that I've spoken to my congregation to in recent days. And I want to, I want to speak to you on this one. I prayed about it. I felt led of the Lord. But this is uh, one individual in the Bible through my course of study that has really been a help to me. It's been a challenge to me. It's been convicting to me. Isn't it wonderful that God can do that? He can convict you and encourage you at the same time. God sometimes, oftentimes, uh, allows me to see myself in the mirror of God's word. And, and I tell you, it's convicting. And I realize I'm not all that I ought to be for the Lord. But at the same time, he encourages me that I can be by his grace and power. And so I want to talk to you this morning about Andrew. Andrew. And so we're going to read about him in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35, the Holy Word of God says again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, what seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? Isn't that funny? They assumed he had a house where he lived. Amen. And then verse 39. He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it is about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. You know, when you think about Andrew, are you listening to me? Look right up here now. Keep your Bibles open. We'll look at some other scriptures. But when you think about Andrew, one thing that stands out to me about him is that he appears on the pages of scripture to be an ordinary man. Now, when I say ordinary, I don't mean he was an average run-of-the-mill Christian. When I say Andrew was ordinary, I don't mean that he was like so many Christians today, just half in and half out. I'm not talking, when I say he's ordinary, I don't mean he's like the average Christian today that's apathetic and complacent and indifferent, not on fire for God. Oh, he was not that. When I say he was an ordinary man, what I mean by that is he was very much like most of us. He was just kind of everyday, common. He wasn't what I would call a 10-talent Christian. I'm thankful for 10 talent Christians that God places in his church. I'm not one of them. I'm thankful if I have a half a talent, but I, I'm not a 10 talent uh, a Christian, but and Andrew doesn't appear to be. You know, I, Vance Habner, the old radio preacher, he, he said, he used to say, most, most Christians live such subnormal Christian lives that if they ever began to live what Jesus considers to be the normal Christian life, 
they would appear to be abnormal to everybody else. Amen? And would to God that be true of us. We are a peculiar people. Amen? And we ought not be weird, but we ought to be different. I learned a long time ago, if you're going to make a difference in this world, you've got to be willing to be different. Amen? And may we be different in that we are like the Lord Jesus Christ, and our lights will shine brightly for Jesus in this world. I admire men like Paul and Peter and John, but honestly, Pastor, sometimes I have a hard time relating to them because they were such great men. They were the type of individuals that you referred to earlier, our need to get to the great men. These were movers and shakers. These were unique men. These, you know, there, there are some men in ministry and in Christian service, they're so talented, they're so gifted, they're so winsome and charismatic. You look at them and you realize they would have been successful in anything they did in life. If they would have, you know, if they would have set it as their life goal to, uh, to make a lot of money or to be an entrepreneur, they probably would have, they're just that type of injury. Such as Peter, James, and John, I admire them, I appreciate them, but honestly, I have a hard time relating to them. They were such unusual men, special men, unlike most of us. I hope that doesn't offend you. Maybe I just should say like you and I. If you really think you're something, then I'm glad you think that, amen. But, but Andrew, Andrew seems like our ordinary, common, everyday sort of fellow. And an interesting feature about Andrew's life is that he was always playing second fiddle to his more famous brother, Peter. It's tough to play second fiddle to the oldest brother, isn't it? There's going to be a great reward in heaven for those who had to follow in the shadows of their older brother. Isn't that how you told me to say it? Peter was usually in the spotlight. Peter was the one that got all the attention. Andrew was always in the shadows and working behind the scenes. I mean, Peter was the kind of guy, you know, if you were standing there talking to Andrew and Peter walked in the room, you just walk away from Andrew and go start talking to Peter. I mean, as soon as he entered the room, everybody got, hey, there's Peter. Let's go talk to Peter, you know, and Andrew's back in the back washing dishes or something, you know, getting it. Andrew didn't have a star role. He had a supporting role. Andrew was a disciple of the Lord, but he was not one of the lead disciples. That was Peter, James, and John. When the Lord transfigured himself on the Mount of Transfiguration, who did he bring with him? Peter, James, and John. Andrew didn't even get an invite. They told him, hey, go home and make some sandwiches. We'll be there in a little while, you know. <laughs> but can I tell you, for that very reason, I think Andrew should be a real encouragement to all of us. Amen. We may or may not have a lot of ability, but may I remind us all this morning that the greatest abilities are availability and dependability. Amen. If we will just make ourselves available to the Lord and if we will be dependable to the Lord, then the Lord can and will use us. But may I quickly add, without availability and dependability, all other abilities, no matter how great they may be, are useless in the kingdom of God. I have known in my lifetime some extremely talented, gifted people. I mean, they just, they were cut out of a different cloth. They were just different. They just stood out, you know. The problem was they just didn't make themselves available to the Lord. Or they weren't dependable. They're hit or miss, you know. They're up and down, in and out. Just couldn't count on them. But can I tell you, Andrew reminds us that God can do extraordinary things with just simple, ordinary people. God can. 
He can. And so let's get better acquainted with Andrew this morning. First of all, as we think about Andrew, first of all, I want us to think together about Andrew as God's son. Because being used of God always begins with becoming a child of God. If you want to be used of God, then you got to get in the family of God. And so being used of God in his service, then, then you've got to become a son or daughter of God. John chapter 1 and verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I understand there are times throughout history because God is sovereign. Amen. He exercises absolute, total, and complete control. There are times when God has used even lost people against their will. He's used them to accomplish his purposes. God even used a donkey one time. Amen. If Andrew doesn't encourage you, let the donkey encourage you this morning. Amen. You can be used of God. But you understand what I'm saying. By and large, we cannot be used of God unless we are saved. Unless we become a child of God. And what God did through the life of Andrew all got started on those sandy banks of the Jordan River on that day that he gave his heart and his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. The account of Andrew's conversion is recorded for us in John chapter 1 and verse 40 where we read these words. One of the two which heard John spake and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Happy day, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. Let's think for a moment together about the happiest of days in the life of Andrew. I don't know what the happiest days of your life. You know, God's been so good to me. I say oftentimes everything good about Warren Johnson's life is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God has given me such a wonderful and blessed life. Sometimes I get in his way and mess things up. But Jesus has done nothing but good to me. I get so tired of people saying, well, I used to go to church, but I'm not in church anymore. Somebody, somebody hurt me. Somebody did me wrong. Listen to me, I, I, I'm sorry that that happened to you, and, and I wish it wouldn't. But I remind you this morning, Jesus never hurt you. Right. Jesus never failed you. Jesus will never let you down. And if some, of, if some of, if God's children offend you or hurt you or let you down, don't take that out on Jesus. He's worthy of you serving him for all the days of your life. Good. And I want us to think about the most happiest day in the life of Andrew. For me, it happened when I was 13 years old. I've had a lot of wonderful, happy days in my life. But the happiest of all days in my life, October 18, 1981, as a 13-year-old boy who did not grow up in a Christian home. You're looking at a first-generation Christian. For the first time in my life, I heard and understood the gospel. I realized I was a lost sinner on my way to hell, but that Jesus, the Son of God, loved me, died for me, and if I'd put my faith in Him and Him alone, He'd forgive me of all my sins, give me His eternal life, and save my never-dying soul. That day, I called upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved me. It's the happiest day of my life. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want you to know before you leave here today, you can call upon the Lord and he'll come into your heart and wash it clean. He'll save your soul. My friend, you might leave this church building today without Jesus, but don't leave this world without him. If you leave this world without Jesus, you'll be eternally lost. Notice that Jesus was publicly announced. The hour had come finally for Jesus. He was 30 years of age at this point, and the hour had come for Jesus to be formally introduced to the world and to begin what we know as his public ministry. 
The scene is found for us in John chapter 1, verse 29 says, The next day John, speaking of John the Baptist, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and he said, Behold, take note, look, pay attention, I'm pointing out to you, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. What a glorious way it was for Jesus to be introduced publicly. Jesus, uh, John the Baptist proclaimed publicly two things about Jesus. First of all, he proclaimed Jesus to be the Lamb of God. John the Baptist was the son of a priest, and as the son of a priest, he was very familiar with the Jewish sacrificial system. He was well acquainted with the ways of the priests and how every morning and every evening the priest would sacrifice a lamb on the altar. But this day that he was pointing out this lamb, this was no ordinary lamb, yea, this was no ordinary man. This was God's lamb, and he was given for all men. Yeah. Every lamb offered up prior to Jesus as God's lamb was merely a picture of the coming lamb of God. The blood of all the other lambs, they could cover the sins of man and they could postpone judgment for another year. But God's lamb came to take away the sins of the world. And so John proclaimed Jesus to be the lamb of God. But he publicly proclaimed something else about Jesus that day. He proclaimed Jesus to be the son of God. Look at John chapter 1 verse 34 says, and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Turn with me to Matthew in chapter 3 real quickly. I want you to trace a few scriptures with me today. Matthew in chapter 3. Let's look together at verse 16 and 17. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 7. It says, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, listen now, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so you understand John introduced Jesus publicly. He proclaimed who he was. He was the Son of God. And he proclaimed why he had come. He was the Lamb come to take away the sin of the world. He was the Son of God come as the Lamb of God that he might take away the sin of all sinners. And so as we think about Andrew as God's son, we see first of all that Jesus was publicly announced. And Andrew was one of those former disciples, students of John the Baptist. And he was there that day when Jesus was publicly announced. But I want you to notice, Andrew became God's son not just because he heard a public announcement about Jesus. You see, you may have heard the gospel preached many times in your life. You, have made, you may have heard the redemptive story of how Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven, came to this, earl, this world, lived a sinless life, went to Calvary and bore your sins in His body and died for you. But just because you've heard it publicly announced doesn't mean that you're a child of God. Andrew became a child of God not just because Jesus was publicly announced, but secondly, Jesus was personally accepted. Look at John chapter 1, verses 35 through 37. Again, the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Brothers and sisters, John the Baptist, John the Baptist publicly introduced Jesus, and then the next day, he personally introduced Jesus to two of his disciples. And it says, after he introduced two of his disciples to Jesus, they followed him. They had been following John the Baptist, but according to Hebrews, Jesus is better than all. Amen? Amen. And so they, began to, they left off following John and began to follow Jesus. 
One of those two men is the subject of our discussion this morning. It was Andrew. Andrew was personally introduced to Jesus. And when he met Jesus, he believed he was the Christ. He got saved and he began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ wholeheartedly with his life. And can I tell you, listen to me, that's when life really began for Andrew. That which is true of him is true in each, of each of us. You know, before we met Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Bible says our state, our condition, we were dead and trespasses and sins. You didn't really start living until you were born again. But whenever you get saved, God gives you new meaning and purpose in life. He makes life worth living. And Andrew now had new meaning and real purpose after he got saved. And so the first thing I want you to see about Andrew, because I can't move on without pointing this out. It's the most fundamental, important thing about his life. He got saved. Amen. He became a son of God. Listen to me. The most important thing about you in all this world is your relationship to Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? Better, better question, does he know you? Does he know you? Because the Bible speaks of a day coming when he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. And so I ask you this morning, not just do you know Jesus, does Jesus know you? You know, if Donald Trump were to walk into this room this morning, and your pastor would allow him to greet the congregation and uh, just say a quick word to you. He got through. Pastor Jeff stepped up here and said, how many of you, how, how many of you know Donald Trump? And I think every one of us raised our hand. Yeah, I know Donald Trump. He was the president of the United States. And then pastor would look at Donald Trump and say, President Trump, do you know anybody here? And he'd look out and say, no, I don't know anybody here. There's a lot of people in this world that say they know Jesus. The problem is Jesus doesn't know them. They've never been saved. They've never personally accepted him. And if you're here today and you've never come to Jesus in faith alone, trusted him plus nothing, minus nothing. Oh, I urge you today before you leave here. Get with somebody. Talk with someone. Let someone share the gospel with you and answer any questions you might have. And listen to me. Hey, trust Jesus before it's eternally too late. Amen. Your eternal destiny must be settled on this side of the grave. There's no purgatory. Right. It doesn't matter what your grandma might have told you. There's no purgatory. Right. Believe the Bible and let every man be a liar. Right. The Bible speaks of heaven and hell. It speaks of eternal death and eternal life. And the difference is whether or not you personally know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Andrew sets a great example for us in the fact that he believed on Jesus. And so we see Andrew as God's son. Are we all right? Amen? Amen. Number two, I want you to see Andrew as God's servant. Andrew as God's servant. You see, sad but true, not every child of God goes on to become a servant of God. But they should. Amen. The honest truth is some just use Jesus and the salvation that he freely gives us as a fire escape from hell and a passport into heaven. But having accepted Jesus as Savior and becoming a son or daughter of God, we should then submit to Jesus as Lord and become his servant. Listen, I don't believe in lordship salvation, but I do believe in lordship. You don't make Jesus Lord of your life. You don't have to stop sinning to get saved. Amen. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to stop sinning to get saved. Christians are not sinless, but Christians should sin less. When Jesus saves you, you ought to then recognize him as Lord. Amen. You ought to submit to his authority in your life. And so look at Matthew chapter 4. 
Matthew chapter 4. Let me get there too. Matthew chapter 4, look at verses 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Can I tell you, look right up here, listen to me. That was the second greatest event in Andrew's life. The first is the day that he got saved. The second was when he entered into service for the Lord. When he began to follow Jesus. And so as we think about Andrew the servant, notice first of all there was a call to serve. Jesus said, follow me. Amen. Are you listening? Jesus is still giving forth that call today. Amen. To all of you who are saved today, Jesus is saying, follow me. Amen. You see, Jesus says, come. And once we come, Jesus says, follow. Jesus said, get saved. And after you get saved, start living your life for me. It's a call to service. Follow me. Think about it now. It was an invitation for Andrew to come and to be a part of what Jesus was doing. Oh, listen. I, I, I hear someone, sometimes people say, well, I just want to do great things for Jesus. Not me. I just want to get in on what Jesus is doing. Jesus, I don't do great things for Jesus. Jesus is doing great things. And he just says, follow me. Come be a part of what I'm doing. Amen. Amen. Follow me. The Lord calls every Christian to follow him in service. Calls every Christian to be a part of the work that he is doing in this world. It's a work of redemption. You see, the Lord is going to get his work done with or without you or me. Amen. Are you listening? He's a sovereign God. Is the will of God always done? The decreed will of God is always done. There are certain things that God says, and, and all of hell can't stop it from happening. If God is decreed, hey, let me tell you something. Jesus is coming again. That is the decreed will of God. And not all, all the powers of hell can't stop him from coming. Jesus said, I will build my church. That's a part of his decreed will. And nothing that can hell can do to stop it. Amen? But not all of God's will is decreed. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will. It's what he desires. But not all will be saved because man has a free will to choose to accept or reject Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. The Lord is going to get his work done with or without you. Amen. Listen, when, when you get saved and get in the church, God's not rejoicing, saying, jumping up and down in heaven saying, oh, thank God I got him and her on our team now. I didn't know what I was going to do before they came. No, listen. But he invites you to follow him, to come and be a part of what he's doing. He is gracious and kind to invite each and every one of us to come along with him and to be a part of his great work in this world. The blessing is then ours to receive or to reject. But hear this and hear it well. Great commission work. Are you listening? Great commission work is the greatest work that we can ever involve ourselves in during our earthly life. Amen. Reaching and teaching people for the kingdom of God. Through going witnessing and preaching and teaching and praying and giving and inviting and encouraging and loving and serving. Oh, listen, we get to be a part of the greatest work in all the world. You want to be a hero? Win a man to Jesus Christ. You want to be a hero? Lead a woman to Jesus Christ. You want to be a hero, someone that really makes a difference in this world? Win a boy or girl to Jesus Christ. The greatest work that any of us will ever do in our life 
is that of simply leading someone to faith in Jesus Christ. Andrew may not be looked upon as one of the greatest, but I'll tell you, he involved himself in the greatest work that anyone could ever do. The work of God, and specifically that work of bringing lost sinners to Jesus Christ. Hey, have you or are you answering the Lord's call to service? Are you? There's nothing like serving Jesus. It gets sweeter as the days go by. Now in Andrew's case, his was a call to what we would oftentimes refer to as full-time Christian service. And I sometimes don't like that terminology because we're all called to serve the Lord in full-time capacity. But God marks some men and women and He sanctifies them and sets them apart for what we call the gospel ministry. And that was the case in the life of Andrew. The Lord Jesus was calling him to a life of public ministry. It was a call to service. But I want you to notice not only was it a call to service, it was a commitment to service. Notice Andrew's response to the call. Matthew chapter 4 verse 20 says this, And they straightway left their nets and followed him. That word straightway, it means immediately. Forthwith. We don't use the word straightway very often, but it's often found in the Bible. And can I tell you, the call had come, so there was no need to pray or delay. You know, when God has told us to do something, we don't need to pray about it. If you've been saved, God calls upon you to publicly profess Him through biblical baptism, baptism by immersion, under the authority of a doctrinally sound church. And you, if you've gotten saved, you, you don't need to pray about getting baptized. You just need to obey. Some things you don't pray about, you just obey. You don't delay, you just obey. And there was no need for Andrew to pray about it. There was no need to delay. God had put forth a call in his life. He was a marked man at that point. And he was either going to do God's will or he was going to live a meaningless life because he was created and called to be a servant of Jesus Christ, to be a preacher of the gospel. And let me tell you something, fellas. If God ever reaches down and touches your soul and calls you to preach, you might as well, listen, you don't need to pray about it. You don't need to delay. Just surrender. The Bible talks about lifting up holy hands. What is holy hands? Well, it's not our charismatic friends swaying all over the place and getting a praise groove on. Amen. You know what lifting up holy hands is? Some of you will better understand it than charismatics. It's what you did when that police officer pulled you over. <laughs> and he drew a gun on you. And you know what you said? I surrender. I'm not fighting. I'm not resisting. I surrender. You know what lifting holy hands is to the Lord? Lord, I surrender. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to resist. Whatever it is you've called me to do, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. I surrender. I'm not going to fight against the Almighty. And it said that in straightway, talks about that they left their nets. Do you understand what's in those words? The act of leaving their nets indicated a commitment on their part. You see, their nets were not like our fishing rods. Their nets were the tools of their trade. They were fisher. They were professional, professional fishermen. Amen? You know, we went fishing here yesterday, and... Um, we didn't catch anything to the very end. My daughter-in-law said she caught one, but there's no picture to prove it. <laughs> I learned a long time ago, there's a reason they call it fishing and not catching, amen? So, <laughs> But they left their net straightway. See, this was their life vocation. They were walking away from their established business, their source of income, that which they had 
spent a lifetime laboring to build up. Now listen, in light of that, I ask those of you who have already experienced an acceptance of Christ, have you ever in your life experienced an abandonment to Christ? It's one thing to experience an acceptance of Christ, but have you ever experienced an abandonment to Christ? An act of giving up complete control of your life to the Lord. Saying, Lord, I'm yours. I've been bought and paid for with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not my own. I'll no longer live to my dreams, my desires, and what delights my soul. I live only to do your will, to please you. Those of you who have experienced an acceptance of Jesus Christ, have you ever experienced an abandonment to Jesus Christ? Listen, these were grown men. These were men who had responsibilities and obligations. They got saved and then Jesus passed by and said, follow me. And straightway they left their nest. They walked away from their livelihood. Just like that, they turned their back on their life's vocation, their career. They walked away. Pastor Jeff, I was thinking about this recently. You know, as you study the Bible, most of the calls to the ministry in the Bible came not to children nor to teenagers, but to grown men. And I think through the years, nothing wrong with this, but we've placed so much an emphasis on uh, children and teenagers going to Bible college and accepting the call of God to go into the ministry. And that's fine and well and good. The earlier you get started, the better. But over and over again in the Bible, I don't find God calling. He called Samuel when he was a child. But other than that, I, I have a hard time. Maybe there's some others you can tell me. You know what he's always calling? Grown men who are established in life already. Already down a ways on a career path. Listen, you got stinking thinking if you've reached a point in your life at any time where, where you think, well, you know, I'm beyond that. I can never change careers. I can never pursue the gospel ministry. I'm already 30 years old. Or I'm already 40 years old. Or I have a mortgage and I've got kids. Back when we were in Bible college, there were a lot of married students in school. As I've gone to preach Bible colleges in recent years, you don't see that anymore. You see young people, but very few young adults and couples. I wonder if there's, if there's a, a grown man in here, maybe an entrepreneur, maybe, maybe someone, you've got a management position, or maybe you own a business, but God's knocking on your heart's door. He's ringing your bell, and he said, I want you to be a preacher of the gospel. Don't you turn away from God. Don't you refuse the calling of God on your life. You need to have an abandonment. Even Jesus Christ himself did not begin his public ministry until he was 30 years old. Amen. I came prepared to do my own amen. And we see Andrew as God's son. We see Andrew as God's servant. And last of all, we see Andrew as God's soul winner. He was God's son. He was God's servant. He was God's soul winner. Jesus called Andrew the fisherman to become a fisher of men. And the most notable thing about Andrew in the Bible is that we read mostly of him bringing others to Jesus. We don't read of him pastoring. We read of him bringing. We don't read of him preaching. We read of him bringing. And the thing that stands out above all else in the biography of Andrew's life in the scripture is he was constantly bringing people to Jesus Christ. Amen. You know what that's an indication of? It's an indication that he was walking with God. 
Let me tell you something about soul winning. For too many of us, soul winning is such a forced thing in our life. We just, we just got to make ourselves do it. But it would not be that way if we would walk closely and sweetly with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you walk with God, soul winning just becomes a natural part of your life. Let me illustrate. Brother Russell, you come help. I know, I know, Brother Russell. We're friends. We have a relationship. And let's say we're we're, we're walking together. Get too friendly. We're walking together. And I come to Jesse, and I know Jesse, but he doesn't know Jesse. But I'm walking with him. So what's the natural thing for me to do? Introduce them. Amen. Amen. Thank you. When we're truly walking with God and we meet someone that doesn't know Him, you know what the most natural thing ought to be for us to do? To introduce them. And the reason why soul winning is so hard for so many of us and it's such a forced activity is because we're simply not walking close with the Lord as we should. When we walk close with Him hand in hand through life and He is not our Savior, but He's our friend and our confidant. When we meet people who don't know Him because we think He's so great and so wonderful, we want them to know Him. So we introduce them to one another. And Jesus, He wasn't a part of the big three. He didn't get invited up on the mountain, you know. But He walked with Jesus. Whenever I got to visit the Holy Land, the thing that amazed me the most is what they call the Jesus Way. And it was the path that he would travel from Capernaum to Jerusalem. And it would, take, it, it, would, it would take some time for him to make that journey. But he would make it often. And I walked away from my trip to the Holy Land with a greater understanding than I ever had of what discipleship is. And because Jesus and his disciples, they would walk the Jesus way. And they would travel that, that path from, from Capernaum to Jerusalem and back. And you know what? So think about it. You picture in your mind, you got guys, 13 guys traveling together. Well, they didn't all walk together arm in arm. They weren't holding hands and singing Kumbaya, you know. But as they walk, you know, for a while, Jesus, for a while, Jesus would probably walk with Andrew and they would talk. For a while, he'd probably walk with John. There'd be three of them walking together, there'd be four lagging behind back here. And discipleship is just going on someone's faith journey with them. Just walking with them, talking with them, telling them what Jesus is teaching you. Andrew. He walked so closely and loved Jesus so much that it made him become a soul winner. He didn't have a pastor twisting his arm. Okay, I've done everything I know to imagine to try to get people to come soul winning. Shame them, embarrass them, reward them, coerce them. Terrible leadership on my part. Just do what I can, though, you know. I can remember my boyhood pastor. He used to like, every Wednesday night, we had soul winning on Thursday night. And so as a part of the Wednesday night service, every week, Okay, if you're coming to soul winning tomorrow night, stand up. Yeah. People that are faithful, you know, to go to soul winning, say, stand up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you other wicked sinners, you know. <laughs> kind of look around, you know, husbands asking their wives for permission, can I go tomorrow night? <laughs> and it was pressure, man. Pressure. You don't want to be seated, you know. I, it didn't really produce soul winners. It produced a lot of great liars, you know. The people say, hey, I'll be there. No, they didn't show up, you know. But Andrew is always bringing people to Jesus. First thing he did. He brought loved ones to Jesus. Brought his loved ones to Jesus. Look at John chapter 1. Look at verse 41 and 42. 
John chapter 1, verse 41. Don't miss it now. He first. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith to him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. I'm a first generation Christian. Brother James, God saved me when I was 13. It was all so brand new. I was, I was so excited. I remember our church, they had a trio. And they had made a recording back on the cassette tapes. And I thought they were so good. And I'm like, the world needs to know about this trio. They're amazing. It wasn't that they sang so good. It's just that what they sang about was so new to me. It touched me so deeply. And I remember when I went to visit my dad, I came from a twice broken home. I go visit my dad. I brought that tape. God had one of the good times Chevy bands. I didn't even ask him because I had that cassette tape with me. I put it in there because I, I wanted to introduce him to the Cobalt Trio. I mean, you know, he knew the Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel, but he had never met the Cobalt Trio. And I thought when he heard this, surely he was going to think this was the best thing since sliced bread, just like I did. But the difference was I had a new heart and he didn't. But when I got saved, I wanted all of my family members to get saved. And the best way I knew how was a 13-year-old punk kid with very little Bible knowledge, but quickly absorbing and learning. I began to try to witness to them. A few years ago, my stepdad, he's in heaven with the Lord now. He got saved. But he was going through some boxes and cleaning out some stuff, and he found a letter that I wrote him when I was 13 years old, a two-page letter in which I was intimidated to talk to him. But I wrote him a two-page letter in which I just begged him to come to Jesus. Andrew, the first thing he did was he brought his loved ones to Jesus. Do you have loved ones that need to be saved? You say, I'm so, I'm so, it's so hard to talk to. I know it is. But listen, you might be the only witness they ever have. If you don't want them to Jesus, nobody may want them to Jesus. Some of you ought to leave here today. If they're in town, you ought to drive over to their house, forget lunch, go to their house and talk to them about Jesus. Some of you need to go home and pick up the phone. You need to pick up the phone. Landlines. You need to make that call. I'm so thankful I had the opportunity to lead or at least be instrumental in so many of my family coming to the Lord. I remember my grandmother was dying. Nobody was there. She had three daughters. They weren't there. Me and my wife went to her to the hospital. And she was, she was in cardiac arrest, and they had to rush her into surgery. And I said, Mama, I said, before they go into surgery, I, was just, I just shot straight with her, swinging for the fences. There's no promise you're going to come off of that table. Mama, do you know Jesus? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And I quickly gave her the gospel. Quickly gave her the gospel. She he had heard it before. Quickly gave her the gospel. Grandma, you want to accept? She prayed and accepted Christ. She did come off the table, but she only lasted a few hours after that. I'm glad I told her about Jesus. Amen. I wish I could say that was true about my relationship with all of my loved ones. I have a step-grandmother. I don't mean this to be unkind, but she's the meanest woman I ever met in my life. <laughs> Grandmas are supposed to be sweet. She's supposed to want to hug them and so she's just mean. She's a smoker, drinker, cusser. She's just a mean woman. She scared me. And she died when I was a teenager. I never witnessed her. I never did. I have to live with that. Best I know she's in hell today. I wish I would have asked God for boldness and witness to her. I wish I would have just stepped up to the plate and swung for the fences. What do I have to lose? Yeah. Right. 
Well, why offend them? Are they going to go to hell number two? You have a loved one you need to bring to Jesus. You might be their only hope. You have no promise of tomorrow. I've buried babies. I've buried teenagers. I've buried people killed in accidents. You have no promise of tomorrow. He brought loved ones to Jesus. And then I love this. He brought little ones to Jesus. I don't have time to take you to the scripture. John chapter 6. It's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. You remember the statement? There is a lad here. There's a lad here. Andrew brought him to Jesus. Can I tell you this? The best time to bring people to Jesus is when they're young. They'll never be more receptive than any other stage in their life. Let me tell you something very practical that help each of you. If you love the Lord, if you want to serve Him in the local New Testament church, children's ministry is one of the most fruitful and rewarding ministries that you can be involved in within the local church. Teaching a Sunday school class, teaching children's church, I don't know if you do vacation Bible school, junior camp. Listen, it, it's not all the glamour. Doesn't have the spotlight. It's not in big church. Remember when you were finally old enough to go to big church? Big church. I like little church. So much more faith in there. Hearts are so much softer and sensitive in there. People don't, little kids don't, they haven't learned the posture of a skeptic. You ever see him preacher? Like, I'm not sure I believe you or trust you or not. I hear what you have to say. Not little kids. They just believe. Be intentional about child evangelism. Be clear, be thorough, but know that children can believe and be saved, and so invite them to do so. Then, last of all, he brought loved ones to Jesus, he brought little ones to Jesus. John chapter 12, we won't turn there. He brought loved ones to Jesus. There were some Greeks that were seeking Jesus. You know who brought them? Andrew. Why? Because he's always bringing people to Jesus. May God help us all to be a little more like Andrew. Dedicate our lives to bringing people to Jesus. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? How many here today could say, Pastor, I'm not everything I ought to be. But if I were to die today, I know I'd go to heaven. Not because I'm a Baptist, not because I'm a good person, but because I've trusted in Jesus Christ alone. And by His grace, He has saved me. If that's your testimony and you're not ashamed of it, would you lift your hand up high? As you lift your hand, would you just tell Jesus, thank you right now. Thank you. You Put your hands down. Christians are praying. No one looking but the preacher. Is there anyone here today that say, Pastor, when you asked that question, I couldn't raise my hand? Or maybe you did and you shouldn't have. But is there anyone here today that say, Pastor... Truth be known, if I were to die right now, I don't know for sure I'd go to heaven. I think I would. I hope I would. But I don't know for sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Pastor, I don't know for sure that I'm saved and on my way to heaven. Listen, I don't want to embarrass you. I want to pray for you that you'll come to Christ before it's eternally too late. Is there anyone here? I'm looking to my left, to your right. Anyone, Pastor? Remember me in that prayer. I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I'm looking to my right, your left. Is there anybody over here, Pastor? I don't know for sure. Okay, based on your testimony, we are all sons or daughters of God. We've been saved. Now let me ask you this. Are you God's servant? Every, every member of this church 
You know what commitment is? It's a willingness to take on responsibility in the name of Jesus. Every person in this church ought to be so committed in service to Jesus Christ that you have a responsibility in this church. Meaning this, if you're going out of town on vacation, you're going to have to contact the pastor or someone to let them know you're going to be gone because someone else is going to need to cover what you're normally responsible to do. Everybody should have a responsibility in the local New Testament church. Years ago, they asked Dr. Lee Robertson how to build a great church. And he said this, just be like the ants. Everybody have a job and do it. And everybody needs a job in the local New Testament church. Are you a servant? Are you a servant of God? You need to ask God to make you a servant today. Come to your pastor and ask him, how can I, how can I be a help? Everybody here, you ought to either be a pastor or you ought to be a person that helps the pastor. And then lastly, are you a soul winner? Are you? When's the last time you brought someone to Jesus? When's the last time you shared your testimony, passed out a track, invited someone to church? When's the last time you opened your New Testament and walked someone down the Romans road and pointed them to Jesus? You say, I don't know how. Why not? You need to learn. You need to partner up with someone and go out solely and learn how to do it. You need to take a class, read a book. Whatever you got to do, learn how to systematically take someone to the scriptures and lead them to Jesus Christ. It's the most important thing you'll ever do in life. Don't you want to do it? Is anybody going to heaven because of you? Think about it. Is anybody going to heaven because of you? Because you told them about Jesus. I think today we need to have revival in our hearts. We need to become a little more like Andrew. Will you stand together with our heads bowed or eyes closed? I'm going to